What's up, OBR Film Breakdown listeners? Before we get to today's show, just a reminder about the $100 in free bets over at the number one sportsbook, FanDuel Sportsbook. Use the promo code OBR today to claim that $100 in free bets. Again, that's promo code OBR at FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, President Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio on 1-1-2023. Unique user identification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the latest on the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome into the latest OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. This podcast is presented by FanDuel, a presenting sponsor throughout the month of December as we gear up toward Ohio gambling going live on 1-1-2023. Take advantage, promo code OBR. You've heard me say it all month. You'll keep hearing me say it through the end of the month. Listen, it is a Monday episode. It's a little bit weird because you have your uh, Sunday victory, Sunday that turns into now Monday, uh, playing this game on a Saturday obviously creates a bit of a hectic schedule. But the good part is here that uh, the Browns will uh, obviously be able to take some time throughout this week to play another Saturday game. They get on that schedule as they'll welcome in the Saints this upcoming weekend. But what we're going to do is what we always do, and we go through our comprehensive breakdown of our All-22 study, Browns 13-3 over the Ravens. A good win, a win they needed, a win that keeps the playoff hopes alive. Really, as far as I understand, the Chargers losing uh sorry the Chargers beating the Titans is the only game that had big ramifications on the the forward outlook of of the slim hopes of the playoffs obviously uh that Chargers game uh, moves the needle a little bit but uh it also the Jets losing is uh very beneficial to the cause at this point the Patriots losing uh there's some 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 plausible stuff here that, that we'll go over in the coming days for what it looks like for the Browns to actually make the playoffs, but they're alive through this weekend and have a pretty good chance if they beat New Orleans to be alive into week 17 when they visit the Commanders before things get sort of really tightened down. But yeah, they're alive right now, man, and that's that's what you want to hear, and they're coming off a big win to go to 3-2 and two in the division. They'll have a chance to go 4-2 and two in the division for the first time since, um, I believe, since the AFC North was conceived they'll be able to go four and two for the first time if they are able to beat Pittsburgh week 17 but yeah listen let's let's dive into both sides of the football and then uh, take a look at what I thought was really the story of this football game okay so offensively in this one the Browns um, I think you could let me try to be careful with this they only put up 283 yards on 64 plays a 4.4 average I didn't think they were that good. I thought they were fine. They they ran the ball well to close the game. So the fourth quarter, they were able to put up 48 rushing yards as they dominated the football for the large portions of the fourth quarter. But throughout the game, not a very consistent product. Now, again, two missed field goals, right? That That changes things. You get to 19 points. If you're able to find a way to get those drives into the end zone, changes a lot of things. But that's sort of where we're at with this group. It seems like... They're putting themselves in some decent positions, but they're unable to capitalize on what they're doing due to one insurmountable set of plays 
that happens throughout a drive. So the things that are concerning to me about this offense right now through three weeks with Deshaun, and again, it's just three weeks. This does not define anything, but they've had 34 drives that have resulted in two touchdowns, okay? Not great. Need that to improve. That's actually the second worst touchdown conversion rate in those three weeks across the entire NFL. They have a 42.4 three and out percentage over those three weeks as well. Again, second to last in the NFL over that time. And the thing, what I'm noticing is the thing that is most concerning is the third and longs that have been a problem. They're 5 of 23 through these uh, three weeks of anything third and 6 plus. So that's 6 or more yards to go. They're 8 of 20 on third downs one of one yard between 1 yard and 5 yards, including 5 of 7 on fourth downs in those scenarios. So those people who hate the fourth down aggressiveness... Uh, But again, only 5 of 23, that's 23rd in the NFL on 3rd and 6, and they're 26th in the NFL on 3rd and 1 through 5. So 3rd downs in general not going well. And this one, again, they were 1 of 9 on 3rd and 6. The only time that they were able to pick up a 3rd down of 6 or more yards was when they converted on Deshaun Watson's 17-yard run in the 4th quarter. Uh, But for the day, the Browns 5 of 15, so you can do the math. They were able to convert 4 of six inside third and one to five. So that's where they have to get. If they don't, they're really going to struggle. And that was indicative of the situation in this game where they were struggling to create first downs when any time situation, either second and long arrived or a third and long arrived, they were unable to derive first downs from those situations. It's, it's something I think will get better over time, but I'm still sort of what are they doing to circumvent this? A lot of pressure in their face, a lot of walk-down coverages. How are they going to be able to maneuver that over time? That's a larger discussion we'll get into in the offseason. But for now, those are my concerning spots. They're just not converting a ton of points. Again, the run game was better by the end product. Nick going 21 carries, 99 yards, 4.7. But 48 of those came in the fourth quarter. So it's not like the first three quarters you were getting a bunch of run game efficiency that was yielding positivity throughout those three quarters. That's why the Browns not very good offensively through large portions of this. Now, you can look at the Ravens' defense, who, who I think is pretty good. Their pass defense is very susceptible to issues. Strong run defense, I think second or third, depends on how the Monday night game shakes out tonight uh, in, in, in run defense EPA. But they have given up only 14 points more than one time in the last four weeks. Now, again, look at the teams that the Ravens have played in the last four weeks, right? That's going to give you a, uh, a little better picture on, on why maybe this defense has been uh, putting up some of the stuff that they've been putting up. I mean, they played the Panthers, an anemic offense, uh, you know, rotating quarterbacks in and out. They gave up 28 to the Jaguars, who are playing better football. But then they played Denver and Pittsburgh. So, obviously, those are two offenses that are not very good. So, you know, it's not... So it's not like the 13 Cleveland put up in this one as opposed to the 20 they put up early in the uh, earlier in the season are all that different. It's just I think again the Ravens defense is really good, but I don't think giving a, you know go, only going for 13 in this one was what they were hoping for. They needed to be better. They were fine, but they needed to be better in my opinion uh, collectively. They ran 38 snaps of 11 personnel. 12 snaps of six, uh, sorry, 16 snaps of 12 personnel, and then the highest uptick we've seen in their 13 personnel usage. Now, we know the Browns were the single highest 13 personnel usage team last year. They're only about 20th this year. They ended up running 
Seven snaps of 13 personnel, three snaps from Neals at the end. The Ravens played mostly cover three in this one. A high variety of uh, of cover three looks, moving late snap coverage stuff, moving all around. They played nine snaps of cover zero and cover one, so not, not a ton. Uh, th- there was really a downtrend in cover one snaps from the first time these two teams got together. In my opinion, that would be because Baltimore's trying to account for keeping Watson scrambling at bay, which is, again, a, a play we saw in the fourth quarter really, really hurt them um, in this one specifically. The thing I'm paying close attention to is a continued downtrend in read options. Only one read option called in this game, according to what we're able to track through film and data analysis, and only four RPOs. They cut out the read flat wheel RPO. They seem to be reeling that stuff back. Again, I thought they would be big-time users of this stuff, considering how often they did it against Houston. But the last two weeks have been pulled back in the opposite direction, uh, which is interesting and something that we will continue to track how all of this evolves over time. Um, So, again, the one of nine hurts, and I think they they were able to get one third down of six or more that ended up resulting in that that really long drive that the Browns were able to put together. Uh, I think if we look at the possessions uh, set up here, that, that... the drive started down inside the Browns. I think it was down inside the Browns nine. I, I cannot remember the exact starting position for the Browns touchdown drive, but it was down at the nine coming off of that Denzel Ward interception. And it was a 12 play 76 yard drive. It had a 15 yard penalty number there. That was because of a face mask. They were not going to convert that third and six and would have had to have punted on the first few plays, but they got a fortunate break with that to keep that drive alive. It ends up going 12 play 76 yards actually ends up going 91 if you include that penalty. So, again, from a holistic standpoint, they're fine. They're, they were okay. Average. I don't want to sit here and call that performance really good. Uh, I just didn't think they created enough uh, enough positivity. I mean, 283 yards, you need to be better than that, and you need to finish off drives. And obviously, um, you know, at this point, they can't put much on the kicker's leg to finish things off. It's just not working. So they need to continue to be hyper aggressive. But they didn't. Uh, they didn't convert some they needed to. Took some so a couple sacks. I didn't like uh, having them 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 take, especially the one to to boot them out of field goal range earlier. So I think that was late in the third quarter that took them out of field goal range right before the quarter break. Watson missed a couple easy oppers, uh, a couple easy. Uh, opportunities. Both guys in the slot were open off of a mug front blitz from Baltimore. He should have been able to find one. Now, it might not have yielded a first down, but it would have put them in field goal range at the bare minimum. They were there on the snap, so it would have gained some positive yards. But um, again, uh, like I thought Watson was okay. We'll dig into some of his stuff a little bit more. He didn't miss much. There's a couple throws I thought he could have made, but he didn't miss much. That, that trend of, uh, of missing mechanic stuff is going down and missed reads are going down. Now we just need to see the results start to trend upward, higher output in terms of yardage type of uh, yardage and touchdown stuff trend up. But but for the most part, I do think he's getting better, getting more comfortable, and it's going to keep trending in in a positive direction. At least in my opinion, it should. He made a couple... A couple wow throws. Again, we'll talk about that in just a minute. So 66 snaps uh, is what pro football focus focus charts for most players here. You had uh, Watson with 65 because he came out for the one quarterback sneak. Uh, But for the most part, 66, you take two away for penalty. That's where you get to 64. And Joku led non-quarterback lineman with 62 snaps. So he was on the field all game. Peoples-Jones, 51. Cooper, 48. Chubb, 46. 
as there continues to be a large discrepancy between Nick's snap share and Kareem Hunt. That has trended up since the bye week. Michael Woods with the surprising 41 snaps as he gets a lot of run in this one. Harrison Bryant, 27, Kareem, 17, Farrell Brown, 13, and Dalen Baldwin, getting his first NFL action, gets 12. All right, so talking about Watson, his highest pass grade of the season is 68.7. He had the one big-time throw, which I thought was a fantastic throw off of a uh, interesting route concept. The Browns ran a flood where they took Amari Cooper from one, took him on what looked like an over route into the hash, and then sent him back across the other side, uh, returning to the sideline, and Watson made a far hash throw over to Cooper that was a fantastic ball, and I think that's what they charted it with. But he didn't have any turnover-worthy throws, which is the first time in three games he has not had any of those. Uh, his, his, I think that is his first big-time throw he's been charted with in three games. I could be wrong on that. Actually, his second. They gave him one against Cincinnati as well. So his second big-time throw of the return for him. A 4.6 A dot isn't great. Need that to be a little bit deeper downfield. Um, but again, three sacks. We talked about that. One scramble that resulted in a first down. Digging a bit more uh, tighter into this when he was kept clean. He was 16 of 23 for 148 and a touchdown. He only had five attempts when under pressure, despite 10 dropbacks where he moved around, three of which he took a sack, two of which he got out and scrambled. He had 10 dropbacks against pressure, two of five, 13 yards, not very good, and that was his lowest pass grade mark, 47.7. Still think he drops the eyes a little too quickly right now. When he wasn't blitzed, he was 13 of 20, 92 yards and a touchdown. When he was blitzed, he was 5 of 8 on 12 dropbacks for 69 yards. Play action, 7 of 11 for 66 Non-play action, 11 of 17 for 95 in that touchdown. Screen passes, they are only able to convert one screen for three yards, one of three. Non-screen, 17 of 25, 150 in a touchdown. So very sort of ho-hum performance, no attempts over 20 yards. He was 4 of 5 in the 10 to 19 range, including his big-time throw. We just talked about 10 of 16 in short throws. Completed two of those RPO throws uh, as well, the other two he handed off. So I thought a fine game and a continual progression for Watson would be nice uh, and I think we're seeing some positive trends in the right direction Dalen Baldwin gets the highest overall receiving grade catching both of his targets for 25 yards and 81.2 he aligned five times out there to play receiver once in the slot four out wide Amari Cooper uh, in his 50 uh, sorry uh, 48 snaps he catches four of five targets 58 yards a 75.7 receiving grade he um it creates a little bit of yard after catch. The 24 yards after catch came on essentially one play where he caught that slant against pressure and had the middle of the field entirely open to work with. He aligned 10 times in the slot, 20 times out wide. That two to one ratio is about right for him. And Joku catches three of six targets. Man, I really thought he'd get to four, five, or six. I was bummed that he didn't hit that in the parlay I put out this week. 28 yards, a 66 receiving grade. He, he ends up with uh, yards after catch in the 28 range, so that's a nice number. Created most of his yards after catching the football and getting downfield. Another hurdle for him, which is nice to see. He continues to jump over top of approaching DBs. Guy's a freak of nature. Uh, Peoples-Jones catches all four of his targets, 31 yards. Does a great job on that flat return where he catches it, gets back inside, ends up scoring the lone touchdown of the evening. 14 yak yards for him. Thought he was impressive again, catching everything in his direction. Uh, in terms of contested catches in this one, Njoku went 0 for 2, Cooper went 1 for 2, Baldwin went 1 for 1, as did Harrison Bryant. Not a ton of contested catch opportunities still on the low side there. Uh, we did have two missed tackles forced, one by Kareem in the passing game 
and then one by Njoku at uh, the hurdle I was just talking about as well. So that kind of rounds out the receiving guys that matter. Kareem Hunt had one catch for three. Felton one for five. Harrison Bryant had two catches for seven. Continues to be a short check down valve. And then Michael Woods had one catch. Uh, he's going to get more action because he's on the field a lot. Like he had nine snaps out wide and 14 snaps in the slot. Like we, Woods is going to get some targets, going to come. But early here, again, not much output in this game, only four yards. Rushing grades, Kareem actually gets the highest rushing grade. They continue to give Nick some some poor rushing grades this uh, this post-buy stretch. He had 72 yards after contacted Nick. He had uh, two missed tackles forced, three carries of 10-plus. He had uh, 13 gap schemes, eight zone schemes used. He had 99 total yards, one run of over 15 where he went for 18 yards. They graded him really poorly in pass protection in this one. So uh, we'll talk about that, what that looks like when we get to the pass, uh, pass blocking stuff, but that, that's a number that stands out to me. Kareem Hunt had four carries, 24 yards, 12 yards after contact. He had one zone run, three gap runs, and then Deshaun had five attempts for 22 yards, and then Jacoby had the one sneak for three. So that rounds out your rushing stuff. Your, your blocking grades, your better overall blocking grades, uh, we'll dig in on both both phases. So pass blocking, you get... Quality scores from two non-offensive linemen and two offensive linemen. So Conklin and Batonio both in 34 snaps, pass blocking, and do really well. They they both grade above 80, no pressures allowed. Uh, same for their two, uh, uh, sorry, their 10 true pass sets. And Joku does a good job with six pass blocking reps, including a 77 grade. He doesn't give up any pressures. He had one time that he was in on a true pass set that he, he did a nice job of. Uh, down at the bottom, Nick Chubb gives up a pressure. They really hammered him for the sack he gave up. They didn't think he got over on that nickel blitz on play action. Didn't think he got over there in time, so they they hammered him on that. It's just a tricky play. they got to find a way to get out of some of that stuff or have a better answer for slot pressures. They, they, they're getting heated up a lot by teams running nickel blitzes in their direction, and they got to find an answer for that. So your other three linemen, Wyatt Teller is 63.6. He allowed three pressures, two hurries, one sack. Not good enough. I mean, compared to Wyatt's standard, he's still not playing well enough. I mean, it could be, again, injury stuff is lingering. He has not been himself since the calf issue, and he's returned. He really has not been the, the dominant force we have seen. They, they need Wyatt Teller to get better. They really, really need him to play better, to, to be their most effective version. Yodi Froholt gives up one sack. 63.1, and Jed Wills gives up one hurry, one hit, one sack for three total on his side. And I actually thought he was he was a little better, so I was surprised by seeing that grade as low as it is. But I think a 61, when you give up three total pressures, including a sack, it's not it's not terrible. It means he was good for the most part, just a couple instances of giving up uh, giving up one sack. Batonio, in terms of grades, zone blocking grades, Batonio, it's good to see this many zone blocking grades this high. Jed Wills at a 71.8, up toward the top. Yodi Froholt at 75.6, Teller at 90.8, and then a 93.5 from Batonio. The only zone-blocking O-lineman who did not grade very well uh, compared to the curve of what's quality for pro football focus was Conklin was a 64.4. On the gap side of things, Teller's the best grade is 67.6, and then you're talking about a 51 from Froholt, 70, or sorry, a 61 from Jed, 58 from Conklin, and then a uh, 56 from Batonio. I didn't think the Browns did a very good job in uh, some uh, some other phases. 
They actually did get some power runs, which were good. They ran five five runs of a power scheme for 23 yards. Outside zone was their best, eight attempts. And this is good, this is good to see because they haven't had much outside zone success in a while. They ran eight times for 44 yards there. Penn pool, four for 19, three of which came from the gun. They ran a, a new wrinkle I haven't seen them run, which is this pistol look. And they ran what's called a wham block trap, which is taking the tight end in a wing position and having him down block the four eye or three technique and creating a right right or left side bubble wherever you're you're running that at to the tight end. They ran that two times for 17 yards, so that was a fun little wrinkle to the scheme. But again, an average run game performance, you know, collectively, offensively, an average day. Not bad, but not good as some people are trying to paint it. I think they were fine. We'll see if they can continue to uptrend. Again, the Saints and Commanders and, and, and Steelers all present good defenses the rest of the way. And we know the Browns have to win out for any outside hopes to be effective. We'll see what happens. But again, wanted to touch on that. They didn't beat themselves, which is imperative because Baltimore, we're going to talk about in a minute, they beat themselves, right? They turned it over two times. That plays a huge part in all of it. We'll be right back. We're going to take our lone break of the episode and we'll talk about the defense. Hey guys, telling you again about the fantastic offer coming up from FanDuel, America's number one sports book, which is coming to the Buckeye State at the turn of the year. They're already available. If you go in, sign up, you get $100 in free bets with an early sign-up bonus. Now, again, reminder, you cannot get this offer if you wait around and do it after the turn of the new year when, when it's a go-live date for sports betting in Ohio. You have to do it early. You get an early sign-up bonus by using the promo code OBR. Very simple. Just OBR. Get that sign-up bonus. Right, Get $100 in free bets. Just have to download the FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. Safe, secure, super easy to use. I already do it for some of the shows that I do on Sundays just to look at lines and give advice. Download that app. Ohio, it's your chance to get in on the action. Join today. Again, promo code OBR. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Again, the disclaimer, 21 and older. Got to be present in Ohio. Bonuses issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1-1 of 2023. Unique user identity verification is required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
Much like I'm talking about the offense is average, I thought the defense was average too. And this is this is not meant to knock them. They made some some nice plays. They created some turnovers, but they were pretty average in this game in one specific area that continued to hurt them over and over again. The Ravens on the night went for 324 yards on 61 plays, a 5.3 average. They ran for 198 and passed for 126. And uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment. I could not believe they had two turnovers. I could not believe the Ravens. We'll get we'll cut right to it. I couldn't believe the Ravens game plan. They decided to come into Cleveland and throw Tyler Huntley 30 times. I, I cannot believe, especially given the evidence that they had of how well they could run the football in two very specific ways. J.K. Dobbins goes 13 carries, 125. Gus Edwards, 7 carries, 55. Listen to this. They ran... They ran 18 carries for 180 yards. You can do the math on that 10 yards per carry. They ran that 18 times for 180. They ran power and counter. Two pullers mostly. Sometimes one, but mostly either center tackle or guard tackle. Sometimes center guard. They they When they moved gap scheme down and moved people front side to back side, back side to front side, pullers, they were killing the Browns. The Browns had no answer for it. They do not anchor at the at the down block like location well. They don't take on pullers well. And I cannot believe the Ravens didn't just keep doing it and how they kept throwing Tyler Huntley. Now again, two turnovers. One was a fantastic play from Ward, so that, you know, whatever. Another was a fumble by Robinson, and that play was off of a catch that was going to gain about 20 yards. But I just listen in general. I cannot believe that they only ended up giving those guys 20 carries because there should have been a 30, 40 carry number for both. That's how badly they were gashing Cleveland in that concept, right? If you go back and look, I'm talking gains of 34, 19, 25, 25, 14, seven, nine, eight. Like they were killing the Browns in this. And anytime they went away from it, they ran 10 other runs. Okay. 10 other runs. In this game, and they only got 18 yards from those 10 other runs, going away from those schemes. So you look at how did the Browns flip it, okay? So how did it work out in their favor? They do a great job on a fourth and one, but for some reason the Ravens decide not to get under center or go in pistol and run their power stuff. They decide to just straight hand off, man scheme it, duo it, right? Wedge block it almost is more accurate, and give it to Patrick Ricard. They don't get the first down. So that's huge. That's the first drive where they're down inside the Browns 20, right? You get the Denzel Ward interception. You get the missed field goal right before halftime, which is so rare from Justin Tucker to have him miss a field goal. He pulls it left. You get another fumble from Robinson out near the 48-yard line, right? That that great play from John Johnson. But again, it speaks to the nature of like, I cannot believe... And again, the, the the blocked kick from Tucker as well plays into it. But those are failures to to produce points that are right in front of him. And the Ward interception happened inside the Browns' 10-yard line again, down at the 9. Like, it's a 13-3 win. That's great. But the defense did not play, like, not lights out. They made timely plays. The 4th and 1, the punch out from John Johnson, the Denzel pick. Now, those are credit, and you get credit for that, but it's not like they played this overwhelming game. You look at three points, you're like, ah, they dominated them. They didn't. The Ravens missed significant opportunities. Now, the Browns did two, two field goals. I get it, but the turnovers 
And like the decisions, and it's probably a nice reprieve for some of you who want to complain about Kevin Stefanski all the time. I couldn't believe what Greg Roman was doing. Um, and this has been the theme since the bye on some of these wins. Like the, the Texans decided to throw Kyle Allen 39 times in that game. And now listen, the Texans have given hell to the next two teams they've played, including the Cowboys, and they took the Chiefs to overtime as they finally got away from doing the things they don't do well. Shocker. Um, but, but anyway, like that one, Kyle Allen throwing there, JK Dobbins only getting 13 carries. Gus Edwards only getting seven and having these schemes working, not using them. They throw Tyler Huntley 30 times. Just cannot, uh, cannot wrap my mind around some of those, some of those choices uh, from Greg Roman. And I know that people who cover Baltimore and those who are fans and I'm seeing stuff on social, like it's, um, yeah, it's it's ugly there, and I, I I've said for a while now that I don't personally see Baltimore as a genuine threat with Greg Roman as the OC. I just cannot envision them in serious playoff games with some of the decisions that he makes a schematically and b failing to realize what is working well and to capitalize on it. I I'm blown away. I I really just cannot take that scheme and what they do seriously. And not that I thought Huntley played really well or something like that, but. And in the Ravens, I think, are actually one of the teams below, the few teams below the Browns in terms of touchdowns based on per drive since week 13. Now, Lamar's out. That changes a lot. But they also have had, I don't think they've had a receiver touchdown in a significant, significant amount of time. In this game, the Ravens played 11 personnel just four times, 12 personnel 24 times, 21 personnel nine times, and then the uh, the Ricard-led 22 personnel 23 times. The Browns played... Base defense versus everything 22 personnel. They played base, so 23 snaps of base. That was it. Nickel, they played it 24 times against 12 and 21. And then they brought out their dime for 14 snaps, all of which those dime snaps were second, third, and fourth down. So they did not do it on first down. So just wanted to leave you with that note. Um, They played a lot of cover three and cover four. 26 snaps of cover three, uh, 18 snaps of cover four. This is a change. Obviously, they played a lot of cover two against Cincy the week before. Some adaptability here. They played six snaps of cover six, three snaps of cover zero, and then seven snaps of cover one. So they were willing to get down and play some man on occasion as well. You like you like to see that. So let's just go through what the, the grade said about defense, um, and we'll see if we align with some of them. They They gave some grades that I didn't totally feel were justified, like, they have Alex Wright down at a 29.6 and 41 snaps. I thought Alex Wright was a little better than that. I thought Perrion Winfrey was a little better than the 40.3 grade he had. He had a couple pressures in this game. He had a sack. He had a hurry. He had a tackle and a great downline tackle move. I think he's getting better. I, I don't totally align with that grade for him. The better grades were John Johnson's 93.1, probably his best cumulative grade, including a 93.4 in coverage, three stop tackles, did a great job forcing a fumble, recovering it. One of his better grade. Denzel Ward, his best grade of the season, a 91.1 coverage mark, 90.7 overall. Miles Garrett gets an 85.3, including seven pressures, five hurries, two sacks for him. Greg Newsom, a 74.0. Grant Delpit, 72.2. So those are all your positives. Deion Jones, a 51.6. Taven Bryan, 56.1. Those feel about right. Jordan Elliott gets a 51.5. So those are the grades. Take it for what you will. I I thought those some of those performances at the bottom were a little better than what they were graded as. But again, I I, I kind of think there's more at play here for um, impact plays versus being driven out. And and if you look at where the Browns struggled, you know up front being able to handle some of those moving guards and tackles, 
that were creating some huge running lanes. And I just, again, thanks to Greg Roman for not being able to figure that out. Run defense grades, Delpit gets an 85.2, Miles a 72.8, and then a 69.9 for Clowney, nice, and then a 68.8 for Ward. And then you have a bunch down in the 40s. Jermaine Carter just recently brought up 45.6 in his six snaps. Perion gets a 39.1. Alex Wright a 35.5. Jordan Kunizic, 14 snaps, gets a 29.4. Deion Jones, 28.3. And Tony Fields, a 27.5. Those of which felt relatively justified given the amount of space that was there on those moving power counter schemes. Grant Delpit, uh, four snap, or sorry, four stop tackles. Those that constitute a failure for the offense. That's a nice job by Grant. John Johnson had three. Alex Wright one. Greg Newsom one. Miles Garrett one. That's it. So that tells you how ineffective they were for the most part against Baltimore's run schemes. Missed tackles. Two for Alex Wright. One for Kunisic. Jermaine Carter one. John Johnson one. Your tackle leaders. John Johnson had seven. Delpit five. And you really don't want your safeties leading this group and run stuff all the time. Tony Fields three. Jordan Elliott two. Denzel Ward two as well. Uh, pass rush numbers. Like I said, Miles had seven sacks, or gee, seven pressures. He didn't set an NFL record. Uh, two sacks, five hurries, 77.5 pass rush grade. I thought he did a nice job, especially in those predictable pass situations where he created five sack, uh, sorry, five pressures and a sack in true pass sets. It's great stuff. Deion Jones is 73.7. I thought he was gifted a sack because Tyler Huntley didn't throw the ball away for whatever reason. So he'll take it. He gets the second highest pass rush grade despite only rushing one time. Ben Stilly, Ben Still, I think he's pronounced it Ben Still, 69.1. He got a pressure in three uh, three reps. The only other guys to account for a pressure, Taven Bryan gets one in 16 snaps. You get one, the, the other one is being Alex Wright got one in 25 pass rush snaps. Playing him inside, playing him inside a lot. Like Alex Wright is is moving around, so they're throwing a lot at him. And obviously, I think that plays into things uh, in terms of why his grades aren't that high, why he's learning on the fly here. 51.1 passers grade for Huntley. The Browns did best when getting him under pressure. He was only three for six on nine dropbacks, including three sacks, just six yards when under pressure. When he was blitzed, um, they only only blitzed him on five dropbacks. He was two for four for negative four yards. So maybe they should have done a little bit more because he was pretty rough there. But the Browns have trended away from blitzing of late. 142 yards on 15 of 26 when he wasn't blitzed. If you take out the play action where he went 4 of 6 for 19 yards, things were not very good. 13 of 24 for 119 in the interception. No screens, 15 of 18, 104, even fewer. So you can see how anemic the pass game was. <laughs> it was just amazing to me that uh you know, that they they didn't they didn't notice it and go away from it and just run power counter until the Browns couldn't breathe. Coverage grades were good. The, some of the best coverage grades I've seen in a single game for the Browns. 72.5 for Deion Jones, 78.4 for Newsom, 84.8 for Kunizic and 14 coverage snaps. Ward, 91.1, 93.4 from John Johnson. John Johnson had a pass breakup. Denzel Ward had a pass breakup. Newsom had one. Deion Jones had one. And then Ronnie Harrison had one to make it five on the game. That's, I think, the most they've had in a single game this year. They had the one interception. Uh, which is great. Denzel was, it was seemingly cover six. So it was a little interesting to me. It was a cover six look where you have a down corner away from the pass strength and Denzel's supposed to be in a quarters read, but he jumps the the slant and he makes a nice play, but the, the coverage where he jumps it is pretty fascinating to me that he read that, snipped it out. He slightly hesitates for a split second, 
uh, with the, with the flat route coming in his direction, but then he decides he's just going to jump that slant route, and he is a really instinctual play, a nice play. So he only gave up seven yards in coverage. Uh, sorry, John Johnson only gave up seven in coverage. Did a great job. That pass breakup was on a long throw uh, and, and against zone where uh, I think Huntley found Mark Andrews what should have been about a 15-yard gain, but I thought, I don't know if Andrews just didn't feel John Johnson coming, but he ends up knocking that ball down. That was a nice play. Uh, Andrews without, uh, you know, without Lamar, just very uninspired football. Uh, Ward was targeted four times, only one catch uh, for 19 yards. And then uh, Kunizic was targeted two times. He only gave up one catch for three. Greg Newsom targeted five, gave up three for 14. You can see the trend. The only real big yardage is allowed. Ronnie Harrison gave up four of six, went out there and dime snaps, uh, four of six. And then he also stayed on when, when John Johnson injured the thigh. Four of six for 47 were uh, were credited to Ronnie Harrison, who did not play well. And I posted a clip of him reacting quite suspiciously to a shovel pass. Uh, you know, you can find that if you would like. But if you look at Ronnie specifically, he gave up 18 yards to an Isaiah Likely pivot route that he should have covered in curl flat. I don't know. His eyes get so focused on the quarterback, he never saw it. They gave him the 15 yards on that... Uh, Justice Hill shovel pass, and then they gave him 14 yards on a Demarcus Robinson catch. That accounts for his team-leading 47 yards allowed. So I wanted to make sure to cover that uh, a little better. Ward only gives up one catch to Devin Duvernay that resulted in a 19-yard gain. Um, otherwise, specials. We'll close with specials, as as we do here. I mean, the right hash stuff is is it's, it's mind-boggling with Cade. Um, he has now had three of those right hash kicks where he's shanking it hard left, just over the top pulling it, and his body lean is way away. The plant foot is what Jay Feely said is an issue, and I agree, but he'll lean the body too far away and be out over top of the football instead of driving up through it, and it's just causing problems. And you can see him, he over they, they right hashed again, and he overcorrected and pushed the next one wide right. So... He's struggling, man, and I don't know what you do here. I, I guess I, I do know what you can do. You can cut him, but they're not going to do that. They've invested a fourth-round pick in him. He's going to be here through the rest of the year. Now, at this point, the numbers are extremely concerning um, in terms of it's not like, hey, he misses 50 yarders and a butt. No, he's missing too many in the 40s and 30s to make you feel super comfortable. And there's not. it's not just the, these are narrow misses like, you know, Tucker had the narrow miss, just miss wide left and had one blocked. But, you know, and I'm not just talking about him. You're watching like Cameron Dicker again for 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 the for the Chargers kicks a game winner, uh, the undrafted rookie. Nonetheless, here's what's got to happen. He's got to be better. He's got to be better. He's got to be more consistent. Now, he's probably going to get into his second year before things start getting really tight. But they need him as a fourth round pick to be better. I don't know what's going on. Some people have equated it to like, is he getting his swing, his approach messed with? I always talk about how kicking is like golf, like place kicking is like golf. It's a pendulum swing, and there's a lot of moving parts to it. Striking the football first, the same way you strike the the golf ball first, as you're kind of down, punching down on it to lift it higher. Um, I don't know if like he's getting some advice that's maybe different from a kicking coach he works with. And what the Browns are asking him to do, kind of similar to how golfers go through swing coaches, I'm not sure here. But I know that I'm going to try to go back and watch some of his LSU tape to see the misses and see 
if there's any stuff that has come up that is repetitive here, but he has a, a real problem here and they need him to be better. They need that pick to work out. Now we're going to see how patient the organization is. They will stick with him the rest of the year. It feels, I don't think there's any doubt about that, but if we're in the middle of year two and he's still going through these same issues, it's, uh, it's going to be a problem. I hope he can solve it. Uh, he misses two kicks that were, in my opinion, extremely makeable. Um, and if we're talking about the depth of those two kicks, you look at the playlist to kind of go through them. He's missing two kicks that were uh, in the 40s. One was in the 40s. I think both ended up being in the 40s um, as as obviously – uh, they bumped back a little bit on the last one. It was a 47-yarder he made early in the game, and then he uh, and he, he made his extra point, but he missed a 38-yarder that was no good, extremely wide left uh, with 10.52 in the fourth quarter, and then he kicked again at 4.29 from 46, and that was no good wide right. So that's continuing trends of missing from 30 and 40, and you need your kicker to be able to make those. Uh, we'll talk more about Cade throughout the week. Jordan Elliott, 93.1 with his blocked kick, which was phenomenal. Uh, they needed that big moment. Tay Davis gets an 89.7, a 78.3 from Dearness Johnson, including a tackle. He got two Tay Davis tackles, which was great. And then I thought I saw Chase Winovich hustling all over the field, did a great job, 76.0 from him. At the bottom, your worst specials grades, Greedy Williams at 30.3, DeAnthony Bell at 30.2, including a missed tackle, and then Kunizic charted with two missed tackles for 29.7. That's it. We'll talk about specials maybe a little more in the week as we go on. Bjorquez was pretty good. I thought he was noteworthy again. Three punts, a 48-yard average, yet a long of 59. His first punt was spectacular to flip field position after the Browns went three and out. He had one kick inside the 20 and only allowed one return for seven yards. So really good there. Um, I liked his performance. And again, like I said, Cade... Two of four, made his extra point. Um, we're, we're talking about on the year now, if we're looking at the whole the whole thing, he is seven for ten. So he's missed three field goals, one of which was blocked, two misses, pure misses, inside 30 to 39 yards. He's six of eight from 40 to 49, and then four of seven from 50-plus. So, um, you know, looking at his grade across the league, I think is probably fair at this point. So if you look at just positions and you go down and you look at, you know, kickers across the league, his grades down in the fifties, he's right there with some of the worst kickers in the league. You know, guys, we need to probably filter this. I'm doing it. Going to do this, going to do this real time with you. Um, try to look at, I'm not looking at specifically kickoffs. We're looking at field goals. You get into 45 guys have really attempted a lot. If we need to attempt a minimum of 20% of those field goals, you filter it down, that's 35 kickers for the year, and York has the 32nd highest grade. Uh, 32 out of 35 is where he ranks right now, just ahead of Greg Joseph um, kicking indoors. Not a very talented kicker, but the the Cade York stuff is tough, man. He's 22 of 30 right now. The 73% is probably going to put him among the worst. He's 33rd out of... 35 and he's he's the worst kicker in the league right now for somebody who's played a majority of the snaps for his team like the two behind him Matt Amendola only played four games for Arizona and Boswell's only played eight games for Pittsburgh so 
yeah, York is just not, he's just not been good enough. It's just not been good enough. So he needs to trend in the right direction to close the years to the year to inspire some confidence. That's it for today. We'll wrap up there. Uh, pretty average on both sides. They got the swing plays to work out in their favor. This is how they're probably going to have to win a majority of these games the rest of the way, but they played hard. I like that. They played hard for Kevin. They battled, they fought, and they won. 13-3 is a good win in the AFC North, and I think that you should always be happy with a win. I'm happy too, but we're evaluating everything under a microscope going into a make-or-break 23 season for a lot of different reasons. So I'm going to keep pressing the thumb down on what has to be fixed, and we have so many big discussions to have in the offseason that we'll get to. Anyway, guys, listen, thanks for stopping by. Have a great victory Sunday into Monday. All that stuff. Enjoy it. Appreciate your support of the OBR and especially this podcast. Have a great Monday. Go Browns. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.